you know, as Christians, we have to understand and, and be real with where we are. That's what we have to see first, individually. And what where our mindset is and what we desire. Airing the Addisons. I think what God is really calling us back to, it's those individual personal revivals in our own lives where we're like, oh Lord, what have we done? We have minimized you. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. As the church, man, we should be on the forefront of making disciples, of indoctrination in godly things. If we don't train our kids, they will not be able to stand. Uh Uh-oh. Good afternoon. This is Erin Addison's here on American Family Radio. I'm Will Addison, and you are joining me today for Wednesdays with Will. I appreciate uh, you listening. Um, just an honor and a privilege to be able to do this and to share some of the things that God has laid on, on my heart. Um, and I feel like God has given me something to, to share today um, that, man, you know, when I was reading through the scriptures, I was actually reading two Miki, and we were discussing some things uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, it was just something that the Lord was putting on my heart uh, just to kind of put together and to talk about. Before I get to that, remember that you can uh, email us at addisons at afr.net, addisons at afr.net, and remember to go to marriagefamilylife.net, marriagefamilylife.net, to keep up with different events that are uh, coming up. Uh, soon we'll, we'll, be, we'll be having some of the uh, MFL date nights posted on the events page. They're not up there yet. We're still working all the details out. But soon you'll see where we will be to do those date nights. And just a, this is a great time. If you're unfamiliar with what the date night is, this is a time that we want to celebrate marriage. You know, we could talk about what's wrong with marriage and, and the things that are. And there are a lot of things that are, that are wrong as far as what the world's perception of what marriage is. But we know that marriage is to be celebrated. It, it is the uh, picture of Christ in the church. And so we like to celebrate it. We have a good time. Um, and these events are free. You just have to register so we'll know that you're coming because there is a meal. But we play a game. Um, we uh, do some other things. And also, uh, Miki and I, we speak. And uh, it's just a, a great time to get to know you and to celebrate marriage together. And so it's it's hard sometimes for, for parents to have a date night. So this is a time we want to Try to make that possible. So check back at marriagefamilylife.net on our events page. Uh, soon you'll see some Marriage Family Life date nights posted. I also want to draw your attention to afa.net slash by design. This is also an initiative uh, that highlights God's design for marriage. And so we, we, we just see that the family uh, has to be restored. We have to have a high value and high premium on the family. Uh, we believe that the families in order will help our communities get in order and our nation to get in order. We have to see our children as arrows that we're shooting out into the world. And so we are to de- uh, disciple them appropriately in our homes. That's our first ministry. That's our first ministry. And so uh, if you go to afa.net slash by design, you can you'll see some videos, some short videos. You'll also see some articles pertaining to marriage. Uh, you'll see an intro by my brother Abraham Hamilton III, just kind of letting you know what by design is. And we also have a podcast that we uh, have put together. So check out afa.net slash by design. Okay, I think that's it for the announcements. So today, 
today I want to speak to you about the tragedy of looking back. The tragedy of looking back. If you are a Christian, then you have been saved from deep and dark sin. Now, some of us may say, you know, well, I didn't do those many bad things before I got saved. I've been saved all my life. That's a, that's a dead giveaway when I hear that I've been saved all my life because that's impossible. You were not born saved. <laughs> but I, I, I get what you mean from a young age. But no matter how much you have done before you came to Christ, man, we all were saved from deep and dark sin. We all were in rebellion within our hearts because of what we inherited from the first man, Adam. And so we needed a Savior. So we've been saved from deep and dark sin. You have been redeemed by Christ's sacrifice. There has been a high price paid to secure your salvation. And when we are made alive into Christ, we are not promised an easy life. You know, we are, we are promised an abundant life. We are, we, it's going to be a better life than we had before, but it, it's not going to be easy. There, there are going to be things that happen. You know, this, this, this life is full of trouble, full of pain. And one of the main struggles uh, one can have as a Christ follower is, n- is not being lured back into the things done in a former life. There's always this pull to do the things that you formerly did. There's always this uh, allure to bring you back into the world. If we are real, when temptation comes and we, and we are not in a place of strength in our walk, the very real temptation is to look back at some of those things and have a false sense of that things weren't that bad before. You know, it wasn't, you know, I, I had some fun. It's like we have forgotten the fear we lived in, the addictions we were bound to, the constant trouble we faced because it's true that sin is pleasurable for a season. Sin is pleasurable for a season. And a lot of times as we get into this walk with Christ, you know, we look around and we look back and we're like, man, look at, look at what's going on over, over here. Or look what they're doing. Or, man, I wish I could do this or that. But we forget the bondage that we were in and how when we were engrossed in our sin, man, we, we were desperate to get out of it. You know, whatever the situation may have been. There are times we look at the world around us, especially if you are on social media or a big watcher of television. And you see the best always of people. I was talking to my brother Jeff about this, J-Mac, how on social media, man, you only see the good stuff. (laughs) You don't see, you know, when stuff is all messed up and chaotic. They don't post like, man, when, when terrible things are going on, you know. But a lot of times you see people at the, at the highest point. And so they're, you know, it's that church flow pitches in there, you know, uh, pictures with the new house and all this kind of stuff. That's what you see most of the time. And it seems like all is well. And you look at yourself, and it seems that you're, you're surrounded by chaos. And you're like, man, what am I doing wrong? And it could cause us to look back, you know, and say, man, I remember, you know, being out there. And it wasn't that bad, was, wasn't it? It wasn't that bad? Are you sure about that? It seems that our family or friends that are not serving God are living it up. You know, the ones who could care less about God, it looks like, man, they're having a big time doing what they want to do. Uh, and this, is called, this could cause us to look back at the world with an admiration. Like, man, 
man, they're getting it, man. We may even think, man, I did have fun back then. It wasn't that bad. But I was uh, searching through the scriptures, and I want to read a portion of scripture. In Psalm chapter 73, um, powerful psalm. I remember the first time I read this, and I was like, man, this is so true. And it seems this way, but there's so much deception. There's so much deception in, in thinking this way. And this is a psalm of Asaph. Psalm 73. It says, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant, as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pains in their debt, and their body is fat. It's like, man, they're living it up. It seems like they have no pain, and they're, they're fat. You know, they're, they're loving things. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued by, like mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. The garment of violence covers them. Their eyes bulges from fatness. The imaginations of their heart run riot. They mock and wickedly speak of oppression. They speak from on high. They have set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue parades through the earth. Therefore, his people return to this place, and waters of abundance are drunk by them. They say, how does God know? (laughs) <laughs> Listen to that. They're like, thank God don't see what I'm doing. Like, he, you know, how does he know? And they say, and is there knowledge with the most high? How does God know? Is there any knowledge with the most high? Behold, these are the wicked. And always at ease. They have increased in wealth. Man, the wicked look like they're thriving, man. You look over at like Bill Gates and different people. You're like, man, how, how are these people who can care less about God? Seem like they're just, you know, so... Uh, uh, happy or they're so like whatever you know rich because they're probably not happy but rich (laughs) surely in vain i have kept my heart pure listen to this and we say this man in vain i'm trying to do right in vain surely in vain i kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence we look at ourselves and we're like man i'm doing all of this it's for nothing because look at the wicked they're getting away with all types of things for i have been stricken all day long and chasten every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, behold, I would have betrayed the generation of your, of your children. When I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight. And here it is. Until I came into the sanctuary of God. Then I perceived therein. I, I, I peeped out. I checked out therein. Surely you set them in slippery places. See, I wasn't the one in a slippery place. They are. The wicked are. You cast them down to destruction. How they are destroyed in a moment. They are utterly swept away by sudden terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when aroused, you will despise their form. When my heart was embittered and I was pierced within, then I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You have taken hold of my right hand. With your counsel, you will guide me and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And and besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, 
but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are faithful, who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of your works. This psalm highlights the struggle that we have sometimes, you know, uh, in this life. We look at people on the outside. We may look at, you know, some of our friends, some of our family. It seems like they're doing well. And we say, man, I, I'm doing all this in vain. You know, I'm doing all this and it don't even count. Like, why am I doing this? Why am I withholding, you know, from this and not doing that? But he said it in that verse, in verse 16 and 17. When I pondered to understand this, when I perceived this, I, I, it was troublesome in my sight until I came into the sanctuary of God. Then I perceived therein. Then I understood the end of the wicked. So we have to get into the presence of God. Getting into the presence of God will keep us from turning back, from looking back, for, for envying the things that we see other people have. We have to be renewed in our minds through his word. We get weak, but we have to seek to be renewed by the straight edge of Scripture and the presence of God. The only thing that was able to turn him from what he was seeing and perceiving was going into the sanctuary of God. Folks, I just want to remind you that when you begin to think like that, when you begin to look at the world and see all that they have and it, and it looks appealing, man, get back to the sanctuary of God. It's in that place your mind will be set straight. He said, until I came into the sanctuary of God, then I perceived therein. I, I stopped thinking crazy thoughts. And then I started thinking what was actually right, that therein is destruction. We're talking about the tragedy of looking back. This is Aaron Addison's here on American Family Radio. I'm Will, and I'll be back right after this. here on American Family Radio, Wednesdays with Will, and today we're talking about the tragedy of looking back, the tragedy of looking back. Look, we live in this world, and this world constantly wants to pull us away from the things of God to look at the shiny pieces that they have and say, oh, I want that. But God can guard our hearts from that. We can guard our hearts through God, and 
it comes by being in his presence, in the sanctuary of the Lord. Uh, the song that Asap wrote in Psalm chapter 73, and that's what he says. He said, when I pondered to understand this, and he was talking about the things that the wicked seem to thrive in, and why am I even trying to be righteous? Why am I trying to live right? He said, uh, it was troublesome in my sight until I came into the sanctuary of God, until I came into the sanctuary of God that set his mind right, that set him straight. He said, then I perceived therein. Then I understood that everything that glitters <laughs> is not gold. Everything that's shiny is not uh, what it seems to be. And so the tragedy of looking back. Uh, so we're going to look at some instances that show the tragedy of looking back. But a couple questions. Uh, why is this such an offense? Why is looking back in our walk such an offense? We'll talk about that. Uh, could looking back be good at all? Well, there's some uh, examples. David, when he was getting ready to fight Goliath, he looked back. He had his staff and he said, um, you know, the Lord was able to, to, to give me strength to, to kill the lion and the bear. And this Philistine that's in front of me now, he would be just as they were. So he was looking back at the experiences that he had, knowing that God had brought him through and that this next hurdle, this next fight would be like those. So, he, yeah, he looked back. Um, the Lord told his people at different times to set up monuments as remembrance pieces of what he had done for them. So that's looking back. And also remember our past. And sharing our testimonies, when we share our testimonies of, of how God has saved us, we do it with the aim of encouraging others about the power of God. And that's a form of looking back, you know, uh, but it's all in efforts to, to bring others closer to Christ. See, it's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. Are we looking back with an affinity for our former life or does our looking back at what God has brought us from, thrust us forward and causes us to praise God who delivers from the bondage of sin. It's a matter of the heart. If we're looking back in admiration of the world and the things that they have, then that's a matter of our heart. There's something wrong there. But when we look back and we say, man, God has brought me from here to here to here, and now I'm here, and it's all been the hand of God, that's a looking back that is it's a good thing. But I'm looking at a, a, a few instances of looking back in the scripture. And the first instance is Genesis, and this is a very popular one. People may have been thinking, oh, this is what he's going to talk about. But Genesis chapter 19, and we explored this a, a few weeks back, maybe a month or so back, uh, when Lot's wife looked back. And so we know the story that the angels had, came, had come, and it was, they were uh, assigned to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. But Abraham had pretty much interceded for his, his family, for Lot. And God was showing mercy and compassion upon Lot because of Abraham. Uh, and then in chapter 19, verse, 20, verse 12 to 26, it says, Then the two men said to Lot, Whom else have you here? A son-in-law and your sons and your daughters, and whomever you have in the city, Bring them out of the place, for we are about to destroy this place because their, cry, their outcry has become so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law 
who were to marry his daughters and said, Get up out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But he appeared to his sons-in-law to be jesting. They thought he was joking. That's saying something right there. And when morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your daughters, your two daughters who are here, and you or you or you will be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he hesitated. Oh, man, see, the scripture reveals all our dirty laundry. You know, the angels are telling him, hey, we're about to destroy this place. Now get all your family, all your people, everybody that you love, because if not, you're going to be swept away with the punishment. So then the time comes for it to happen. And Lot hesitated. Hmm. So the men seized his hand, the mercies of God. <laughs> the men seized his hand and the hand of his wife and the hands of his two daughters. For the compassion of the Lord was upon him. They had to be drug out of the city. Like, you know, it's amazing when you consider this. And I'm not saying this as I'm better than he, he was, but it's amazing to consider this. The things that, we, that were written aforetime were written for our learning. And we gain lessons from this. So the, these men seized the hand and the hand of his wife and the hands of his two daughters, for the compassion of the Lord was upon him. And they brought him out and put him outside the city. So they had to physically bring him outside of the city. Because, look, in their hearts, they were still there. They were still there. They weren't ready to actually leave yet. When they had brought them outside, one said, escape for your life. Do not look behind you. Do not look behind you. And do not stay anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains, or you will be swept away. Now behold, your servant has found, found favor in your sight, and you have magnified your loving kindness, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, for the disaster will overtake me, and I will die. Now behold, this town is near enough to flee to, and it is small. Please let me escape there. Is it not small that my life may be saved? He said to him, Behold, I grant you this request also, not to overthrow the town of which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Man, God was looking out for Lot. Therefore, the name of the town was called Zoar. The sun had risen over the earth when Lot came near to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, brimstone and fire, from the Lord out of heaven, and he overthrew those, those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. So this place was totally destroyed, but here it is. But his wife, from behind him, you know, maybe he should have had her by his side or <laughs> y'all get in front of me, but, but his wife, from behind him, Look back, and she became a pillar of salt. There's a tragedy in looking back. Why did she look back? Her heart was still inside of Mingamora. See, a lot of times, you know, God delivers us from things. And in that moment, we're like so joyful. We're so happy. The Lord has delivered me. He has saved me. He has given me new life. 
Time goes on and we get a little dull with the Lord. We begin to look and say, man, hmm, yeah, it's good and all. But, man, I, you know, I had some fun back there in the clubs. And I had some fun, like, doing this and doing that. And in our hearts, we begin to look back. We begin to look back and say, man, I don't know. It was kind of cool back there. It wasn't all bad. You know, there were moments where it was a lot of fun. But we begin to do that. We have to caution ourselves from looking back. We have to caution ourselves from looking back. A very sad scenario, but it happens all of the time. It happens all of the time. And if we're not careful, this is just an encouragement for us to take self-inventory, to watch ourselves, to see if in our hearts we've been kind of peeking behind us, if we've been kind of looking over and seeing what's going on in the world and saying, man, hmm, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. Another instance, and this was the, the instance where I was reading to Miki and we began to discuss, uh, discuss this a few months ago. And this kind of brought about, you know, my pondering on this and thinking. But Numbers chapter 11. And this is a story of the children of Israel. When they begin to complain because they were tired of eating manna from heaven. God had provided for them in a miraculous way that manna would fall, would fall from heaven. And they were like tired of eating this. They're like, man, we need some, some, some steaks, some meat, some, you know. <laughs> we want some the things we had up in Egypt. Like, and I'll read a portion of it to you. Numbers chapter 11. And remember, we're talking about the tragedy of looking back. It says, now the people became like those who complain of adversity in the hearing of the Lord. And look how that starts off. Now the people became like those who complain of adversity in the hearing of the Lord. Man, do we do this? Do we complain of adversity in the hearing of the Lord? Because you know that his ears are in every place. His eyes are in every place. Do we do, we do this? Now the people became like those who complain of adversity in the hearing of the Lord. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. The people therefore cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died out. So the name of that place was called Teberah, because of the fire of the Lord. That burned among them. And check this out. Verse 4. The rabble who were among them had greedy desires. Mm. The rabble who were among them had greedy desires. Once, once again, we got to search our hearts. When we're looking out at our friends, our family, our peers, do we have greedy desires? And also the sons of Israel wept again and said, who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we used to eat free in Egypt. Now nah, these jokers were not free in Egypt. They were, they were slaves. But they, and I, know, I know that they're talking about the fish and the meat that they would have for free, but they were not free. But here 
they are. We remember the fish, which we used to eat free in Egypt. The cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our appetite is gone. Oh, <laughs> well, I can't tell. <laughs> our appetite is gone. Look, man, when you, I'm, again, this is not, I'm not trying to pronounce judgment on these people because we do the same thing. God provides for us and we look and like, but man, the people over there, they have this and that and this. And man, look, I don't have nothing. <laughs> Make me sound so poor. They said our appetite is gone. There is nothing at all to look at except this manna. Now pause, because God was sending this manna in a miraculous way to feed them. But they're looking back to the, the food of slavery. They're like, man, we want that fish, those leeks, those onions. Back when we had free in Egypt. It doesn't matter that we were not free and we were working like dogs. But we had free food. We had more than the, this manna that, you know, yeah, God provided, but it's, it's manna. Man, <laughs> could you imagine? This is what we do with the Lord as well. Verse 7. And now the manna was like coriander seed and its appearance like that of bedellum. The people would go out and gather it and grind it between two millstones or beat it into the mortar and boil it in a pot and make cakes with it. And its taste was as the taste of cakes baked with oil. And when the dew fell on the camp at night, the manna would fall with it. This was a miracle, y'all that God was performing. So the story goes on, and Moses, he gets upset as well. So he goes to God, and he's like, man, these people that you have conceived, these, these, they're, they're complaining against me because they don't have food. They don't have meat. You know, Moses was getting pretty upset. But, you know, Moses would talk with God like this. God even said, I talked to Moses differently from how I spoke to my other prophets. You know, I spoke to him mouth to mouth, not in parables and riddles. And so Moses was having a conversation with God. He was like, man, they're crying to me saying, give, give me meat. Give us meat that we may eat. And he said, I alone am not able to carry all this people because it's too burdensome for me. So if you are, are, are going to deal thus with me, please kill me at once. So <laughs> Moses was ready to give up. God provided, you know, the wisdom that Moses needed and the help that he needed. But look. It came at a, a harsh, harsh price. Say to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow and you shall eat meat. This is God. You shall eat meat for you have wept in the ears of the Lord saying, oh, that someone would give us meat to eat. For we are well off in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat and you shall eat. You shall eat not one day, nor two days, nor five days, nor 10 days, nor 20 days, but a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you. I'm going to pause there. The tragedy of looking back. This is Aaron Addison's here on American Family Radio, and we'll be back right after this.
This is Aaron Addison's here on American Family Radio, Wednesdays with Will. We're talking about the tragedy of looking back, and we were looking at Numbers chapter 11. The children of Israel complained against the Lord because of the manna that they were receiving. They wanted meat. They were tired of, of the manna. And I want to pick up where I left off reading and uh, move a little quickly here. Um, <clears throat> so they complained. And Moses took their complaint to God. But something happened here. Say to the people, this is verse 18, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the ears of the Lord, saying, Oh, that someone would give us meat to eat. For we were well off in Egypt. Man, what an affront to God. <laughs> he literally caused them to walk across on dry land <laughs> from the Red Sea. And they're saying that we were well off in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat and you shall eat. You shall eat not one day, nor two days, nor five days, nor 10 days, nor 20 days, but a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and become loathsome to you. Because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wept before him, saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? There it is. Looking back. The tragedy of looking back. The tragedy of looking back. So God, that was an affront to God. He said, I was the one that brought you out of that place. Do y'all remember the cries that y'all had when you were in bondage? And I sent a deliverer. I sent Moses, my servant, and I delivered you. But now you're saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? Wow. And we're just like that, y'all, in our hearts. Why did we ever leave where we were? It seemed like it was better off. I, I was, I was kind of doing good. I was, uh, we forget the miracle that, that God did for us. So I'm going to drop down to verse 31. And so God did some things before this. He implemented uh, some elders. And the spirit that was upon Moses, he placed upon these elders to help Moses. But going down to verse 31, said, Now there went forth a wind from the Lord, and it brought quail from the sea, and let them fall beside the camp, about a day's journey on this side and a day's journey on the other side. All around the camp and about two cubits deep on the surface of the ground. So imagine that. That's quail just stacked up. The people spent all day and all night and all the next day and gathered the quail. He who gathered least gathered ten homers, and they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. 
while the meat was still between their teeth. Now listen to this. While the meat was still between their teeth, before it was chewed. Man, the Bible goes through details. It tells you exactly how it went down. The anger of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord struck the people with a very severe plague. So the name of that place was called Kibberot Hatava, because there they buried the people who had been greedy. Tragedy of looking back. Tragedy. When God has brought us out to look back on those things that we were in bondage in and say, man, why did I even leave that place? That's an affront to God. And it's tragic on our behalf. We'll find ourselves in trouble. We'll find ourselves in trouble. So that's another instance. And then I want to go um, just through a, a few more scriptures to talk about, in the New Testament, Demas. Now, Demas was one of, um, he was a co-worker, a co-laborer with, with the Apostle Paul. He went on various missionary journeys, and um, he's mentioned in Philemon, chapter 1, verse 24, said, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. So he was a co-worker with the Apostle Paul. Colossians chapter 4, verse 14 says, Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings. And also Demas. Hmm. Demas was among the co-laborers of the Apostle Paul. But then we get down to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. It says, For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. So we see here that Demas, the one who was a, a co-labor, co-worker um, with, with Paul for the gospel's sake, departed. And he departed in a time where, where, where Paul really, really needed him. And he not only just departed Paul. See, that's not the, that's not the egregious thing. But the scripture clearly says that he loved this world, this present world. So that was, that was a spiritual thing happening. It wasn't just, you know, okay, Paul, I, I'm not going to roll with you no more, but I'm still in the faith. No, they said he loved this present world. That is signaling that something was happening that was a, of a spiritual nature, that Demas was led away uh, in that way. So the separation caused by Demas, uh, his desertion of Paul, was not merely a, a spatial um, desertion, but a spiritual one. And Demas left Rome because he fell in love with the world. Looking back, the tragedy of looking back. In other words, Demas chose to corrupt the corrupt value system of the unsaved world over the heaven over what heaven values. The scripture says Demas loves the things of this life. That's the NLT uh, translation. Demas loves the things of this life. And that's uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. And we don't know the details of, of Demas's situation. But it is evident that Demas decided what, that what Satan has to offer in this life is better than what God has to offer in the next. He loved this world. What does the Bible say about loving the world? You know, we, we had been studying in our, um, in our little Bible study with me and J. Mack and J.D. Um, 1 John. 1 John chapter 2, 
verse 15 and 16 says, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the father, but is from the world. And sadly, there's no record of demons coming back from the world. Like we don't read that in scripture. We, you know, it's not clear. There's no record of that. There's a tragedy in looking back. You know, Jesus, he gives us this explanation in, in Luke chapter 9, verse 57 through 62. It says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests. But the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord. But first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, and here it is, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. No one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. You see, when it comes uh, to Christ, we are called to give all for this cause. The world will present opportunities for us to take our eyes off Jesus and place them on the world. This is equivalent of putting our hands to the plow and looking back. And if we look back at the world and don't focus on the work of the harvest, we will plow a crooked line. And that will not yield the potential harvest. See, that, that was an agricultural thing Jesus was, was saying. If you, if you had your plow and you had your, your, your beast pulling, you couldn't look back behind you as you were trying to go forward because if you did, you would have crooked rows. Jesus is saying that the harvest would not be fruitful. You would not have the potential of the, of the harvest that is for you if, you if you have put your hand to the plow, but you continue to look back. It's a looking forward. You need, you need to focus those straight lines ahead so that you can get all that you can get out of your harvest. It's a tragedy when one takes his eyes off of Jesus. This is a path that leads to tragedy. The Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter 11, 11 underscores the great history of those who have been championed because of their faith in God and his promises. Character after character is spoken of with admiration, not because they had an easy life, but because they endured not ever being able to see what they were hoping for. But then the writer flows into chapter 12 of Hebrews, and it starts off with a therefore. And I've heard it taught. Abraham says all the time when there's a therefore, you need to go back to see what the therefore is there for. So he is in essence saying because of the fate of those spoken of, spoken of, 
in, in, in chapter 11, we understand that with such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, that those are the people he talked about in chapter 11. Let us rid ourselves of every obstacle and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How do we succeed and keep from looking back? Verse 2 in chapter 12 tells us, looking only to Jesus, only at Jesus, the originator and perfecter of the faith. If we're looking at Jesus, we're not looking back. If our eyes are fixed on him, we guard ourselves from looking back at this world. He is the one that authored and originated the faith talked about in all those heroes of the faith in chapter 11. Jesus is the originator of that faith. They were not looking back at the world. They were looking towards the promise. They were looking towards the promise. The scripture said in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13 through 16, all these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen and welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they have been thinking of that country which they left, look, if they were looking back, they would have, they would have had the opportunity to return. <laughs> if they were looking back at Egypt and the places that they came from, they would have had the opportunity to return to those places. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Amen. Amen. See, Jesus, he's worthy as the originator and the perfecter of our faith. He's worthy of us laying aside, putting away, to stow away, to renounce every weight, every bulk or encumbrance or burden and the sin, the missing the mark, the sinful deeds that often entangles us, that easily surrounds us, encircling us, easily distracts us, and with endurance, with steadfastness, with uh, patiently waiting for, we let's run, let's exercise ourselves and make progress, the race, the contest, a struggle in the soul that lays before us, the thing that, that, that's before us. Because we're looking to Jesus. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. So today, today, the challenge is for all of us, let us look up to Jesus. He's the originator and perfecter of, of the faith, who for the joy that was set before him, the joy that was set before him, he was looking forward as well. Because he was looking forward as well, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Folks, no time for looking back. We look back, we get in trouble. We look back, we're able to go back. But we look forward on the things that God has uh, 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 provided for us, the path that he has laid out. Looking back gets us in trouble. So my prayer is that we would have a resolve as the people of God to look forward. The only looking back that we would ever do is our testimony and what God has brought us from. But we're not looking back with affinity for this world. This is Aaron Addison's Wednesdays with Will, and tomorrow we'll be back, Lord willing.